How's everybody? Excellent. Great to be here with you. It's a blessing to be here among you. It's a, certainly an honor to be preaching from the pulpit this morning. And um, I'd like to start by wishing you all a happy day, uh, Labor Day weekend. I'm, we're pretty full here, which is great. Uh, usually Labor Day kind of marks the end of travel and vacation time for many. It's kind of the end of the summer season. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it just seems like we were celebrating Memorial Day, doesn't it? Summer goes so, so quick. It's unbelievable. It's hard to imagine. But I remember when you were a kid, I remember when I was a kid, I was just talking about this this morning. I remember my pals and I getting off the bus the last day of school. It was always a half a day. And it was like, we'd get off in the neighborhood. It was like a scene out of Braveheart. It was like, freedom, you know, and you, you, you couldn't even fathom the beginning of the next school year. Uh, it was just so far away. And it was actually just only two and a half months away. But those endless summers when you're a kid, but the old ad, it seems to hold true. The older you get, the the faster time seems to go. So anyway, hope you're enjoying a wonderful Labor Day uh, weekend thus far. And I know a lot of people are traveling. But, um, you know, uh, we just ended a, uh, a wonderful series this summer in the church. Uh, the, the Summer of Love. We did 1 Corinthians, dug in. It was great preaching, great teaching. And this thing is kind of distracting. I'm going to get rid of it. Great preaching, great teaching, and uh, you know what it is, when I get up here to preach, it's like, you may start with an idea, you may start with something, but you never know where it's going to go, right? And that's kind of how I preach, that's kind of how I do it. Um, And I thank you for your prayers, Felix. We want to be yielded to the Spirit here this morning. We want to have open hearts. I, I prayed this morning, my wife prayed over me as well, over the preaching and teaching, that the Spirit would guide us, so let's... Let's have our hearts open and, and, and allow the Spirit to move in our midst. And, and God is here because we are certainly gathered in his name, so that's a, that's a powerful thing. So we just ended this series this summer called the Summer of Love. And, and Labor Day kind of, although it's the end of one season, it kind of begins a new season. Uh, and that's also in the church. And we want to hit the ground running this season. And we want to be uh, prepared and ready for whatever God wants to do with us. And, uh, and we want to have the right perspective about things. And what I'd like to jump into this morning and just begin with, because it's been on my mind, is uh, because time just seems to go so fast up here. So we're just going to jump in. We're going to start with what's commonly referred to in Scripture as the Great Commission. We read about it in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. We also read it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And, uh, and what we have here is the resurrected Christ. Uh, He's 40 days out of the tomb, and during those 40 days, he continued to preach and teach and instruct people and and encourage them about the kingdom of God. And now he's standing at the Mount of Olives, looking out at these fledgling disciples, and, and I can only imagine the heart that he must have had for them as he's looking at these folks. Uh, certainly he would have been aware of the things that they were going to face. Uh, He knows he's getting ready to leave them in a physical sense, but but surely he would have known what they were getting ready to face. Uh, The trials, the persecution, uh, many of them would would, would suffer horrible deaths. So I can only imagine the heart that Jesus had for these folks as he's looking out at them. And, And some of the final words that he offers to them And we're going to use Matthew 28 here for this reference. Matthew was one of the guys that was standing there. And as he records it in his gospel, we'll start at like verse 18. um, And Jesus is recorded as saying, Now, 
All power, all authority on earth and in heaven has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. What a powerful portion of scripture there. He's, he's leaving them in a physical sense, but he's letting them know, I, I, I'm, gonna be, I'm still going to be with you to the end of the age in a spiritual sense. And maybe they didn't fully understand it. Maybe they did. But what a powerful uh, portion of scripture here. And in my walk, uh, I got saved about 18 years ago. And in my walk with the Lord as a, as a man of God and in, involved with various ministries over the years, um, one of the common things you, you hear about from people brothers and sisters in Christ, is when they read this portion of Scripture, they really, they really have this uh, feeling or, or a, a, a real pull or drive to want to get out there and evangelize, boldly evangelize the lost and to proclaim Christ. And, that, and that's a wonderful drive. That's a wonderful thing to have. And, um, but in reality, you know, when we look at when we look at scripture, we read in Ephesians chapter 4, that it's Christ who chooses the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, right? That's commonly referred to as the five-fold ministry, with evangelists being smack dab there in the middle. Um, so I've heard some pastors over the years refer to it as the four-fold ministry. They'll put that pastor and teacher together at the end. I completely disagree with that. Uh, I'll tell you why, because certainly every pastor must be a teacher, but not every teacher is a pastor. It's a five-fold ministry. And there we see evangelism smack dab in the middle, the evangelist. And certainly, we're not all called to the office of evangelism or the ministry of evangelism. But what we are called to do is to, is to bear witness, to, to be witnesses, and to be an example. And, and when you look at that word evangelist, defined, it means bringer of the good news. Bringer of the good news. And then in this, in this portion of scripture that we read, where Jesus says, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And now, so we look at that definition of disciple, and that word in the Greek language that the New Testament is written in, the word is mathedes. And defined in the context that Jesus is using here, it means follower, and to further expound on that definition, it means one who participates in learning and instruction and then puts into practice what they have learned. That's the definition of a disciple. And in my experience, as an evangelist out there for many years, as a pastor for many years, it's been my experience, it's been a tremendous blessing to be able to lead multitudes of people to the Lord, pray with them, uh, disciple them, but... What you will find in many instances, in many, many cases, individually now, when you hear people's testimony, when you hear their story, you'll see where long before they ever prayed to receive Christ, long before they ever accepted him as their Lord and Savior, there was something that impacted their life, someone who impacted their life, and they began to turn towards Christ long before they ever became saved long before they ever became saved. That, that's a regular occurrence. So I say to you, 
Although you might not be an evangelist, there may be some in this room here, which is fantastic. I think there may be. But we are to be bear witness, to be bold witnesses, to set an example. And many feel like they're falling short if they're not out there preaching it or leading people to Christ. Many, many feel like they're falling short in their walk with God. And, and, that, and that's a wrong perspective. That's a, that's a wrong perspective. Um, because you don't know, you don't know what kind of an impact you may have had on, on a neighbor, somebody at work, maybe someone in your extended family. If you're going through this life, if you're, if you're navigating the waters of this life, putting God's will above your own, and having a kingdom mindset, you will naturally or supernaturally affect those around you as you represent Christ in this world. That will supernaturally happen. And we have to have that perspective. And so, so the first thing, first thing first is we want to we wanna make sure that we're walking out this life uh, with a kingdom mindset. And, and part of that mindset, like I say, you never know where this stuff is going to go. So we're just going. But part of this mindset is if you are a child of God, if you are a child of God, the defining event, I think I preached a little on this last time I was up here. The defining event that occurs when we become one of the saved of the earth is we are marked with the seal of God. We receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The two become one. God's Spirit takes up residence within us. It's not like God attaches himself to us or the Spirit attaches himself. No, it's like a spiritual fusion. The two have become one. Ephesians 5, 30 through 32. And our body, that's why our body is now called the temple. Under the old covenant, back under the Old Testament there, we see, if we go back to the tabernacle, we see where the, the Ark of the Covenant was kept in the inner room, the Holy of Holies, and it was separated from the outer room by this six-inch thick, heavy veil that was made out of fabric and wool, and nobody was allowed into the presence of God. Nobody was allowed in the Holy of Holies only the high priest, and then only once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And he better be spiritually prepared or God would strike him down. That's why they would always tie a rope around his waist or his leg so they could pull him out. But on this side of the cross, under this wonderful new covenant that Jesus has firmly established, the presence of God takes up residence within us. And it's important to have the mindset, the perspective to know that wherever you go, if you are a child of God, wherever you go, you can change the entire spiritual atmosphere of wherever you are because God goes with you, because he goes with you. I see some brothers and sisters from the priesthood motorcycle ministry. That's why I kept this on because they're, they're here. How wonderful. We've, we've rubbed some elbows with some pretty rough characters this year. This is our first year. We launched out of this church in October and we've exploded. We've almost tripled in size. We've ridden thousands of miles this riding season. Been rubbing elbows with some of the most outlaw motorcycle clubs you can imagine and, and rough ruffians that you can imagine. God brought us through, protected us, and we've seen wonderful fruit. We've tripled in size. So thank you for your prayers, all those who have been praying. But we go into these places not of our own power, but God goes with us. I remember... Um, 
talking about changing the spiritual atmosphere, right? I remember a few years back, my wife and I were in Salinger's Orchard in Brewster. Loved that place. And um, I ran into a lady I had gone to high school with. And she was there with her daughter. And, of course, we recognize each other. We start, I hadn't seen her since high school. We start talking to one another and dialoguing. And, hey, you know, the small talk. How you been? What have you been up to? Great to see you. And then we parted ways and went on our way. And, and afterwards, we got in the car. And I looked at my wife and I said, something didn't, I'm discerning that something is off, man. Something just isn't right. That discernment. So we got home. And after a little while, I went online. Did a little searching, Right. And I found out that this lady was operating as a medium in our community. So that really impacted me when I saw that. Kind of grieved my spirit because now I'm concerned for my community, but also for this person. And uh, so what I did is I reached out to her and I said, hey, any chance we could get together, have coffee at a public place, continue the dialogue? And she said, yeah, sure. So we met at a local diner began talking, and again, the small talk and all that, but then, and she knew where I was at at the time, I was an associate pastor at a church, and um, involved with several ministries, but I revealed to her that I knew what she was doing, and I wanted to see her reaction, and she kind of backed up, like, you know, straightened up a little bit, and she got defensive, and, and began to defend what she was doing, in a very diplomatic way, in a kind way. And I stood firm on my position that what she was doing was, was very dangerous. And it, and it was way outside of the parameters that God has established. So she stood firm on her position. I stood firm on mine. But thankfully, the dialogue continued. And we met a few more times after that. I actually even went to her place of business. She had a storefront. She had an office space there. And you walk in, and there was uh, statuettes of angels that she was selling, crystals. She even had a Reiki table where she was doing... Uh, that's, that's like energy healing and very mystical stuff. You walk in there, right? And, and we met a few more times. We kept talking. And I was revealing to her, showing her in Scripture about God. We would talk about God. And I was showing her in Scripture that what she was doing was very, very dangerous. Dangerous not only for her, but for those that were coming to see her. And, and people like this, people that are mediums, psychics, fortune tellers, even those that are involved in the Wiccan lifestyle, the witchcraft stuff, they can get very accurate information. And this woman would get very accurate information. In fact, at just the right time, because God has a way of opening doors and the timing is there, uh, I was at a funeral service and I met a woman and just in random conversation, she told me she had been going to see this woman. She knew I was a pastor and she was feeling convicted about it. She told me she, was, she had gone to see this woman. I said, really? So, and, and she said, yeah, but what she's telling me was very accurate. I mean, she told me things that there's no way she could have known unless it was revealed to her from the Spirit. But make a long story short, that lady got saved on the spot that day. And then when I met with this woman, followed up, and here's, I'm just going to lay a little groundwork here, a little foundation. When we're talking about these spiritual matters, like right here, right here where we are, if you look around, everything you can see, smell, taste, touch, Right? All that. This natural realm right here. What is also right here with us is that supernatural or spiritual realm, the things that we don't see. And God tells us what we don't see happening around us is more real than what we do see. And then we have the heavenly realms. So now, and, and the only people 
The only people now, not angels, but people, with authority in that spiritual realm are those that have been marked with the seal of God, the saved of the earth. Jesus tells us, you are still in the world, but you're no longer of it. He says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Jesus says that I have overcome the world. Therefore, we have overcome the world. God in the New Testament refers to the enemy of our soul, Satan, as the God of the world, the prince of the earth, the ruler of the air. He still has a level of power and dominion on this earth that he gained at the fall. He is a defeated foe, but he still has a level of power and dominion over the unsaved, not over us. So the only people with authority to operate in that spiritual realm are those that have been marked with the seal of God. Anybody else doing so, they can do that. I always tell people, if you're searching for a spiritual encounter, Satan is more than happy to accommodate you. You will have a spiritual encounter. So as we, as, but it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous for those that are, that are doing that and those that are coming to see them or involved with it. You can open doors that, that are very difficult to close. So anyway, as we, began to dial, as we continued the dialogue, there was a tremendous breakthrough about the third time we met. And I would only meet her for a short time and I'd leave. And she said to me, I'll give you this. Now we're sitting in her storefront. She said, I'll give you this. When you're here, I can't receive anything. I can't get any information. And that was a tremendous breakthrough because I said, of course you can't. Of course you can't. Because the spirit of God is here. God is with me. The spirit of God is here. And that stuff comes from the enemy. Mediums and fortune tellers and psychics refer to these entities that give them this information as spirit guides. Perhaps you've heard the term. In the Christian community, we call them familiar spirits. But what they are is they're demonic apparitions. They're demonic entities delivering this information from a very dark place. So when she said that to me, I said, of course you can't because the spirit of God is here. He resides in me. And in the presence of God, the end, that, that stuff can't manifest because God... God wins every time. He's more powerful. So, and I told her after that breakthrough, I said, now, you didn't know what you were doing. You didn't know, right? Jesus, when he's getting nailed to the cross, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Stephen, as he's being stoned to death, looks to heaven. Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. I said, you didn't know what you were doing. I says, but now you know. So now you're accountable to this truth. You know, because I've showed you. And, and, and literally, honestly, how is somebody supposed to know unless you tell them, right? What does God's word say? How are you supposed to know unless somebody tells you? How can somebody tell you unless they've been sent? Blessed are the feet of those that bring the good news. So I said, now you know. And I said, if you continue this, it's going to be very dangerous for you and for anybody else you're dealing with. And that was it. And, I, and about a week and a half later, I got a phone call. And she had been to an event up in the Adirondack Mountains that her and another medium were holding. They had sold tickets to this thing where people would come and they would speak over them and speak into them. And this woman, before they started, she grabbed this other lady and brought her into the kitchen and said, we need to pray. We need to pray. So right away, she's seeking God. The enemy doesn't like that. So what happened was it broke loose up there that night. It broke loose in a spiritual sense. It was crazy stuff, and it scared her, and she backed, and she shut it down. So that thing's no longer in business. She's not doing that stuff anymore. She's in the Word of God. She even attended a Bible study at my house for quite a while. So anyway, I used that 
I just told that story. Sorry, I went kind of a long way around the barn there, but um, to illustrate for you that wherever you go, the power and authority. What Jesus said in this portion of Scripture that we read, the Great Commission, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. There's a transferable anointing, a transferable authority wherever you go. God's power, there's, a, there's another big misconception out there, right? That there's in society, there's this yin and yang, these two equal and opposing forces. No. God's power, God's authority is much greater than Satan's. God wins every time. Satan is a defeated foe. He's a created being. God's power, God's authority wins every time. You can change the atmosphere wherever you go. That's the mindset you have to have. I was um, talking about God's authority. It brings to mind another kind of story. I was very involved with jail and prison ministry uh, pre-COVID and um, a very fruitful time. I was in about a little over four years, every week preaching in there, counseling inmates uh, during the week, one-on-one. And um, I came into contact through correspondence in the mail. David Berkowitz, also known as the son of Sam, he, he wanted to get together. He wanted to talk. So I made arrangements to go up to, he was at Sullivan County Correction, which is a maximum security prison up in Sullivan County. So I made arrangements. I went up to see him, and, and we sat down, and we talked for hours. And uh, so the first time I sat down with him, we're, he's just really, he was being very open, and so was I. He said, I'm so grateful when you walked in the door that you weren't wearing a suit and a tie, that you were just a regular guy that I could talk to. And uh, so we began, we began the dialogue. And he told me his full story. And, uh, and here's a guy, here's a guy that was actively worshiping Satan. He had signed a pact with the devil. He was studying the Satanic Bible. Yes, there is such a thing. And he was involved with an occult group called The Process that were doing some really, really bad stuff. And he was one of the leaders. He was, he was a bad dude. And, um, and when he got arrested in 1977, and he rotated into the, he, he, didn't, he, didn't, uh, he didn't fight the charges. He pled guilty to all six murders. He goes to prison, and uh, he was in there about 10 years up north, and he's out in the prison yard, and, and even the guards up there, like they said, this guy, when he came in, like everything you were scared of as a kid, everything evil you were afraid of was coming out of this guy. His nickname in, in the prison was David Berserkowitz, and he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. All, bipolar wasn't a thing back then, but all kinds of different emotional things, psychological things. And he tells me he's out, and David is what they call a, pro, a trophy in prison. He's what they call a trophy, meaning if you can kill him, you, you gain a lot of street cred and a lot of credibility inside the penitentiary system, and you get your name in the paper and all that. So he's what they call a trophy. And the first thing you notice about David is his throat's been cut from ear to ear. It's a big scar because they did try to take him out a few times. So he's out in the prison yard one day about 10 years after he was incarcerated, and uh, he's a loner. Nobody ever had anything to do with him. And a, and a young fellow walks up behind him and says, excuse me, are you David Berkowitz? And he turns around ready to fight because that was his life. 
That's life inside for a guy like that. And the kid says, no, 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 listen, man. God just wants me to tell you that he loves you. And David says, do you know who I am? He says, do you know what I've done? He says, trust me when I tell you. I'm the furthest thing from God you can imagine. Don't bring that stuff around me. God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Trust me. And he walked away. But he told me, he said, something happened. I don't know what it was, but something, something happened inside. And he began to think. And what that did is it opened a door for these two fellas to dialogue a little bit in the prison yard over the course of the next two weeks. And this young fellow ultimately gave David a Gideon's pocket Bible. And David took it. And I don't know if it was that night or maybe a night or two later, but he was in his cell just before lights out, which is 10 o'clock at night. And he says, I'm sitting on my rack, and I opened up that Bible. And it opened to Psalm 34. And he read verse 6 where it says, And a man cried out to the Lord, and the Lord saved him. And he felt such conviction. He felt something happen. And he says, I, I was shaking. He said, I dropped down on my knees in my cell. And I cried out to God to please forgive me for what I had done. And he says at that moment, he said he felt this tremendous burden, this weight lifted off of him, this oppression even was lifted. And he said he, he wept. And he said that's the first good night's sleep he could ever remember getting. He was a tormented guy, even in his childhood. I don't, we don't have time to go into the stories of all this. But all it took, now here's a guy Here's a guy that terrorized an entire city for a whole season, known throughout the country, throughout the world even, did murders, did horrible stuff, even more than that. But all it took to defeat all the influence and power that the enemy had over that guy is he said, Lord, please forgive me. And it was done, finished. That's the power of God. And if there's anybody you think's beyond the outstretched hand of God, it would be that guy. But now they call him inside. They don't call him the son of Sam. They call him the son of hope. And he remains in general population. He's not in protective custody. He remains in general population and works in the mental health ward, psych ward, so he can help these young men that are coming in at great danger to himself. And so he can share the gospel or just set an example for these men. That's the power of God. And certainly, you know, part of our dialogue, the, the, you know, the, the, the wake of destruction that was left behind him in, in his life, you know, certainly the victims and the victims' families, and th those are the things that he has to deal with now and, and dealing with. But that is the power. That is the power of God. God wins every time. It's not a yin and a yang. Satan is a defeated foe. You are the most powerful thing walking the face of this earth. The most powerful creature walking the face of this earth. You're not a cleaned up version of your old self. You're a new creation in Christ with power and authority. And as we're out there talking with people, we're never looking to kick a door open, right? You never want to kick a door open. Try to beat somebody over the head with it. But what we want to be doing is looking for the opportunity where the door does open and take advantage of every opportunity to do that.
Because God will open doors if you're walking through this life with a kingdom mindset. And, and, and there's a lot of wounded people out there. There's a lot of pain out there. You know, as Christian men and women, we have a discernment, right? We, we have a, a, an understanding and a discernment. We even read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we've been given the mind of Christ. So we can see things. We can recognize things that are out of bounds, things that are outside of what God has established, things that are unrighteous. But people, the unsaved, those that are living outside of the covenant with God, well, they can recognize it too. They can see evil. They can recognize it. And one of the greatest issues you'll run into out there today, especially today, and I run into it all the time, is people just can't fathom in their minds with all this pain, with all this torment in the world, you know, this, this God that you preach, this God that you talk about, the creator of all things, who's all-powerful, sovereign, and he's a loving God? Really? Why does he allow that little kid to have cancer and suffer like that and die? Why does he allow this, this tremendous issue and evil of human trafficking? I don't know if you've seen the movie Sound of Freedom. I have not yet. I, I do plan on it. I know it's going to be difficult to watch, but this is, a, this is a huge problem. Young kids being trafficked into sexual slavery. And the United States is the biggest offender. Why does God allow? Are you kidding me? God is all loving. He's powerful. He could, he could stop it, but he doesn't. You see what's happening to those kids? Why did he allow that wildfire to whip through Maui like that and kill all those people? They don't even know where most of them are. Where are the children, right? Yeah, where are the children? Nobody knows. What's going on? So when people see stuff in the world, they, they can recognize that it's dark, man. There's evil out there. There's evil out there. And when you're standing in an intensive care unit with someone who's failing and they're fading fast, and their families are there. Little kid even. I've been, I've been there with these families. These people don't want to hear, well, you know, God loves you. God loves you. They don't want to hear that. They want to know why. Why is this happening? I, I uh, had a great friend. He got saved about three years ago. Came to the Lord pretty angry guy, pretty, pretty rough, but a good family guy. And he got saved in a powerful way. And I was discipling him. We became very close. He was devouring the word of God. He was coming to church and all the, the stuff I was putting out during the pandemic, he was devouring it. Uh, the preaching we were doing, he was devouring all that. And, 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 just on fire for God. And that's such a radical transformation in this man's life. His whole demeanor was completely changed. And I got a phone call about a year, year and a half ago, January 2022, from his son-in-law, very early in the morning. And this guy passed away suddenly in his sleep, 56 years old. Lived right down the road from here. And, 
And of course, you're devastated. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. How awful. And I quick got dressed, went over the house, and his wife was there. One of his older daughters was there. And, uh, and, and his remains were still there, and, you know, consoling them and, and, and then making phone calls to, to make arrangements to have his remains taken away and, and do all that stuff. And then being there with just his wife. After all that was over, now we're standing there in the living room, just her and I. I can't remember if her older daughter was there or not. I don't think so. And this woman had watched. She would come to church with him almost every week, watch the transformation in him. And she says to me, and she had been there when I baptized him a few months prior to that, with, with, along with several of their family members. And through sobs and tears, as I closed the door, and now we're standing there in the living room, through sobs and through tears, she says to me, where is God now, Jay? Where is he now? And, I, and man, that, I wasn't offended by that at all. I, nothing like that. But I, I understood. I, I, I felt the grief. I felt the hurt. And, and, and she acted like she immediately wanted to take that back. I said, no. No, I get it. I understand. And then going back, like the funeral was a few days later. So I walk into the funeral home to do the service. And the place is packed out. Even overflow. Packed. All the, you know, family, extended family, and all the people that, that this guy knew in the communities and worked with and stuff, they saw the change in him. And why they were there, not only to pay their respects, but they were like, yeah, we saw the change in this guy. And he, was, he freely shared with them the, why the change had happened in him. He freely proclaimed Christ. So they were there to know also if he was a man of God, if he was following the Lord, why did, why did that happen? That doesn't make any sense. So what do you preach? And what do you preach? Well, you know, as we are walking this life out, we're in the mortal body, but we're spiritual beings. We're walking this life out in relationship with God. We study the word, right? We begin to learn his very nature, the nature of God. And he does not want you to be confused about who he is in you and who you are in him. Our life is now found in Christ where he sits at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. He, he doesn't want you to be confused about who you are to him and who he is to you. And so when people say this, like this, this, this mindset out there, like how could God allow these things to happen? Because people can go to a very dark place they can go to a very, very dark place and their hearts become hardened. And it can become very difficult for them to acknowledge that there is God. But the truth of the matter is, God doesn't do evil. God's not in the evil business. God doesn't do dark. He is all-powerful and he is a loving God. And God is good all the time. When we look at his word, we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, everything God made was good. Chapter 2, verse 1, and it was complete. Everything God made was good, and it was a complete work. It was a finished work, and God set it in motion. And since then, it's been going out. And, I've, and he honors his design. He honors his design. And I've heard people say, well, you know, there can't be any good without evil. 
And that's a backward statement. That's an upside down statement because of the truth of the matter is, where does evil come from? Evil is a perversion of good. There was only good, and it was a complete work. Satan was not created evil. He became that through choices he made, things that he did, and he was cast out, he and a third of the angels. He became that. He wasn't created evil. He was created as the most beautiful angel with a position of authority in the kingdom of God, an archangel even. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't forbidden because it was evil. It was evil because it was forbidden by God. Big difference. Tremendous difference. I'll say that again. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not forbidden because it was evil. It was evil because it was forbidden by God. God didn't create evil. God doesn't do evil. Mankind created in the image of God in the fallen condition is a perversion of the original design and intent. The earth created in the image of heaven in the fallen state is a perversion of the original design and intent. Everything God created was good. He is a loving God. The truth of the matter is, I mean, God says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is no respecter of persons. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to crawl into the mind of God here or, 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 or say what he does because that's way beyond me. There's so much I don't understand. But I stand firm on the things I do understand to carry me through the things that I don't. God is good, and he is a loving God. He honors his design. And the truth of the matter is, since the fall, and yeah, Satan still has that level of power and dominion, bad things happen to good people all the time. Our bodies are now subject to sickness, disease, to, to corruption, all that stuff. And God certainly can intercede, and he does. And we see that regularly. We see that all the time. Through prayer and petition, we come to him and we present our request to him. He hears our prayers. We see the miracles. We see the breakthroughs. God can intercede. But God doesn't do evil. God doesn't do dark. I got to wrap it up. <laughs> because you could, I could you just go all day on this stuff. But can I share one more thing with you? Take a couple of minutes. When I was a kid... On the school bus, as a young guy, grade school, there was this kid that used to ride the bus also. He lived down the road near the railroad tracks from me. Lived in a ramshackle house, him and his brother, his mom. I, never, I don't ever remember seeing his dad. Clothes were nasty, you know, beat up. And he had some issues. I, don't, I think his dad was an alcoholic, maybe abusive. And this kid... It wasn't a good life, you could tell. And talking with him, we would sit together sometimes and talk. And we were both involved in religious instruction class at the local Catholic church, CCD. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. Did you go to that as a kid, maybe? All right. So we pull up at, at another bus stop. And across the road, here's this beautiful home, manicured grounds, nice cars in the driveway, Kid's coming out, running out the door. He's running late to get the bus. And the mom's like, I love you. You know, gives him a kiss. See you. I'll see you later. The dad's throwing the briefcase in the car with the three-piece suit on. Love you, son. I'll see you later. Have a great day. And his kid's sitting on the bus next to me. Because what we had learned, the perspective that we had was that God kind of orchestrates our lives. He kind of moves the chess pieces 
of where we go and what we do. Yeah, he knew us in the womb. He knows the hairs on our head, right? All that. Yeah. Wrong perspective. He doesn't, he doesn't move the chess pieces like that. Like this kid was thinking, what did I do wrong? Why does God love that kid better than me? What have I done wrong that I'm where I'm at in the situation that I'm in? And the truth of the matter is, God honors his design. When two people come together, a man and a woman come together in the most intimate of ways, they know the result of that encounter can be a pregnancy. It's not that God orchestrated that or ordained that to happen, but he honors his design. People make choices. People make choices. And there's consequences for our actions. And when you hear in the Christian community often, like, oh, I feel like I'm under such attack. No, no. And I say, okay, we, yeah, we want to pay attention to that. If that's what you think is going on, let's pay attention to that. Let's talk about that. Because what you'll find 99.9% of the time is most of the time it's just life. It's just life. And you can kind of dial it back and backtrack a little bit and see where maybe there was a crossroad or people made decisions or, or went down a certain path that led to where they're at now. And you might even see where God put roadblocks up or stop signs and they chose to blow through them. Been there myself. I've done it. I'm preaching to myself. But we don't ever want to glorify the enemy by saying, oh, I'm, I'm under attack. No, that's glorifying the enemy. And it does happen, but here's the key with an attack from the enemy. An attack is, is meant so you know it's an attack. There won't be any doubt in your mind. It's to instill fear, to turn you back from what you're doing. You'll know, and we'll talk about it, but... But God's power, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up because we're just running late. I'm sorry. So I'm wrapping it up, I promise. So God's power, God's authority, much greater. He is sovereign. His sovereignty is complete. And he is a loving God. And God is good all the time. And we got life groups coming up. We're going to have announcements here, but we've got life groups coming up soon at the end of the month. Pastor Brian also uh, wants to do we're calling it a, uh, what are we calling it? Where's Angela? We're calling it a, uh, Christian Living Life say that one more time. Great Commission Living Life Class. Living Life class. So we're going to do that. And what we're going to do with that class, everybody's welcome. And we're going to do it at uh, probably 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings before service. This way, everybody has the opportunity to attend if they like. And we're going to try to talk about how we can be great witnesses, how we can walk out this life. Put some tools in the toolbox, and I think it's a great time of the year to do that. So uh, with that said, I love you all. Thank you for your time. God bless.